Welcome to another episode of Murder, Myth, and Mystery. I am one of your hosts, Mary, and I have Eric here. Hello. And Sarah there. And when I mean there, I mean in her home. Yeah. (laughs) Many miles away. Sad. (laughs) Hi, Sarah. I miss you. I miss you guys. How how are you doing? Is everybody doing all right? I'm still loving isolation, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, life was different when it was just me and the dogs at home all day long. <laughs> I say the Girl. same thing about just me and the kids. Uh, right. When he says life is different, he should be thankful because he hasn't done dishes since I've been home. This is true. I usually, historically, oh. I'm the one who usually does the dishes around here, but Mary has been on top of it, which I'm very thankful for because since we have not been eating out at all, we've been going through dishes like crazy. And so, oh, yeah, Mary man. has been staying on top of that, man. It's, it's nice. Yeah. It's really, yeah, nice. you got to stay on top of them or they overwhelm you. And then you just have yeah. to throw them all out and start over. <laughs> oh wait, you guys don't do that. <laughs> I'm to the point. No, it was funny. Cause I was like washing dishes for the second time in a day. And I was like, how do people do this? <laughs> it's right? a little ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, oh. <sighs> it is what it is. But you know, no, we're, we, yeah, we're we're not at each other's throats. Though uh, I will confess that that uh, I don't know if it's stir crazy or what, because I'm so used to being home all the time. But yeah, or if it's the stress of the world. But I have just been cranky lately, mm-hmm. like just on and off, not all the time. But man, yeah. I just get oh, I'm with my, you there. Oh yeah, I just and I realize that I am when it's happening, and I just can't stop myself, and I'm just like, ah, everything is yeah. sucky. Yeah, and then, and I, then calm I down, don't and I'm help like, oh, things because I just laugh at him, and I'm like, you're so stupid Ooh. right now, and walk away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, I know I'm stupid right now. And yeah, thanks for yeah. telling me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna go two ways. I'm going to either just laugh it off. Or I'm going to go from zero to 60 real quick on his ass. So, it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's a gamble and I can't help myself. I don't know. It's it's yeah. mostly been over like the last week or so. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm speaking totally of the the, He's also just have a, he has a lot of new projects for yeah, work, work so stuff and everything. Deadlines else. and a lot of stress from that. Yeah. So. It's, it's, oh. been, it's mainly that. Yeah, it's been a little hectic. So it, it is what it is. It's all right, though. But speaking yeah. of the last week, I want to thank everybody who tuned in for our Friday night pub trivia night that we had right? on Facebook Live. Holy cow, that was oh so much fun. We had a ton of people join, and we went way longer than we were thinking. Yeah, we were, we were just doing yeah. an hour. We were planning on like an hour, and it went for three hours of just having a like great it. time. No, it just flew by. It, it, we just had a blast. So we're going to try to do something like that you know, every Friday night if we can yeah. uh, for the foreseeable future, at least until you know everybody's out of isolation and able to actually do you know, normal human activities on a Friday night, but, uh, oh yeah, I, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. So, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll try to play our part as best we can. And yeah, we yeah. had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, it the so only fun. downside to doing Facebook live is the lag, Yeah, but, uh, you know, which was pretty bad at times. It was like 10, 15 yeah. second lag between when we were saying something and when we'd start seeing, you know, the, the answers rolling in on the Facebook live from people's answers on the you know, trivia questions, but that's the all right. Answer, you know, a lot of fun. The answer yeah, it was, it was is a always minor. Provo. 
Always. Provo. <laughs> that was Sarah's answer to everything. That was the go-to. Yeah. Provo. No, there, yeah. there was one question that I had a really funny answer to, and the lag, uh-huh. I think, just ruined it. It was like, how many um, gold and platinum albums has Dolly Parton had? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And my response was more than Nickelback. And <laughs> it just kind of went under the wayside. <laughs> oh, I, didn't I didn't even, even see that, that, man. Oh, and, but uh, I was that is correct. Proud of I myself. would have accepted that as a correct answer. <laughs> and, the, yes. and the question was how many albums? Um, Al, uh, how many albums has gone gold, platinum, platinum or multi platinum? Yeah, yeah, by Dolly Parton. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's 25. 25. Yeah. Oh, which amazing. Is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah I love her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> before we start, we just wanted to say um, a huge shout out and thank you um, to all the essential workers out there. Oh, yeah. The doctors, nurses, mail, vets, or mail retail. carriers, excuse me, mail carriers, or just people working for the post office in general mm-hmm, or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. All the delivery. Anybody services. who has to leave the house to work, basically. Construction, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You are all heroes in my book. Be safe out there. Yeah, it, it's scary. And you yeah. guys, remember, and if you have, oh, I was just gonna say, be be nice to people. Like, yeah, I went to pick up my groceries, and this was like about a week ago. And the gal who was helping me, I mean, they have it now, so it is like zero contact. You stay in the front seat of your car. Yeah. They load it in the back. But I was kind of chit chatting with her, and she said that she's been like screamed at multiple times. Some woman uh. just went like ape shit on her and like screamed at her to get the hell away from her car. And it was just, it's like, I understand people are scared, but like these people are risking a lot to help us live our daily lives. And there's right. no, and a lot of them are not making a lot of money doing no. that either. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's just, it just be kind. Like I just, I felt so bad for her. Cause it's like, and I mean, she was sweet as can be, but it's just, you know, be nice. Like, remember that. Yeah. Like even yeah, be a nice human. Even if they're out of it's your funny, tomato yeah. juice, like that's not their fault. <laughs> like right, yeah, it's not like they're hoarding it all. Right. Ah, this is all of my tomato juice. Right. But just this morning, I uh, had something we needed to mail out uh, to, to a friend of ours, and but our mailbox is weird and it doesn't hold the the mail. The outgoing mail, yeah, the clip. There's a clip thing on it. It's yeah. one of those secure mailboxes, so you mm-hmm. can't just put it in and put the flag up or whatever. You know. Anyway, uh, so you know, we heard the mailman come up because Louis always lets us know because he's a stereotype. And barks at the mailman. He can hear the truck and he knows the sound of the truck. Uh, but so I heard the mailman and I, I run out there with the letter and, and he's getting out and he has some packages to bring up to our porch. And, and uh, so we met each other. I'm like, oh, here, yeah, this is all going. Oh, great. Here's this. And he's, but we have a tote that we keep on our porch. This is all Mary's idea, uh, full of, you know, drinks and snacks, crackers, cookies, candies, candies, oh yeah, gosh, you know, Gatorades, you know. Red yeah, Bulls, yeah, 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 a bunch of different stuff in there, and, and we started doing it around Christmas time, uh, you know, because obviously we had a lot of package to deliver, yeah. and it's a really busy time. But you know, she started it up again now, uh, you know, with everything going on. And so when I met the mailman, you know, and we exchanged our our package things, and he says, "Do you mind if I come up and, and get some some snacks?" I was like, "No, please come oh. up and get as much as you want. You know, we really appreciate what you're doing. This is awesome." He's like, "Oh, thank you. This really makes my day." And that just <laughs> my heart you know hearing him say that not that i need to hear that but it was it was just you know these these people are busting their butts in a scary environment right now so you know if you can show some kind of appreciation for those people that are out there working you know away from home these you know during this time 
do it. It, it. Even those little things like that, it doesn't cost a lot to, you know, set up something like that. If you got an old tote sitting in your basement, yeah, or whatever. you don't even have to do that. Put a note on your door. It just says thank you. Yeah, even You're just a simple thank you yeah. note. Yeah, whatever it is, you know, it, just you know, appreciate each other and appreciate yeah. those people that are out there risking themselves. And it's yeah, it, it, and it, it is it, like little gestures that make all the difference. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing a return to please and thank yous, and I love it. Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 amazing. And I love watching uh, when they drop off the packages. It's cute because all of them, like FedEx, the UPS guy, they'll always put the packages in the bin, and then they'll get snacks out, and then they'll ring the doorbell. But they always say thank you, look into the camera, and wave. Or it's yeah, we got one you. of those. Real I totally cameras. stop them. I love yeah, it. yeah. Yeah, it's neat. And it's again, it's just our way of saying thank you for what you're doing. It's it's a little thing, you know. And if I could, I would do more, you know, but I don't know what else we could do for you guys. So this is what we what we can do. And here you go. It's easy enough for us to do it. Yeah, sets us out, you know, very minimal amount of money to do it. So here you go. I'm totally gonna set that up this week. That's my goal for the week. Because I it's not that I like haven't thought of it, but it's just like I'm just going to do it because I think I love that idea so much. And we've been ordering a bunch of crap on Amazon and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. And you guys have a covered um, entryway yeah. there, too. Yep. So you don't even need to put a lid on yeah. it or anything like that. Yeah. I'm totally doing yeah, we, it. We, ours obviously is not covered. And so we uh, have a little lid and made a little laminated sign on there. Gosh. You know, you delivery people, whoever, you know. Pringles. Yeah. They love the some, Pringles. Oh, the brilliant. Pringles. Yeah. We get, we get those little, the little ones, yeah. not the, the big cans little snack size Pringle things. Yeah. Those are going like, like the crazy. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. And the little, it. you know, Gatorade that you get like uh-huh. an eight pack yeah. or whatever. It's a 12 pack or 12 pack or whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. But they're simple. They don't cost a lot of yeah. money and yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to, to appreciate them. So and, anyways, yes, we just want to say essential. Thank you. Yes. Everyone be huge safe, thanks. be kind. If you're out and about, be nice. Yes. And a huge special shout out to all the people that are working in hospitals, you know, in medical areas. Oh my gosh, I That's know. That's scary as hell out there. And, you know, my heart goes out to you guys. I wish there was something I could do for you guys. I know Gatorade's not going to do it, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> stay safe. That's all we can say. Yeah, but you you guys are are heroes. I mean, you were before and always will be. But yeah, right now is Absolutely. really that, that true time that yeah, your your lives are on the line and you guys are still going to work and doing all of that. So thank yep. you. So all right. Um off of our high horses yeah. here about all of that, I guess. <laughs> Maybe we should uh go ahead and jump on in here, unless you have anything else no, to cover. I don't. No. All right. Just so. uh, tune in on Friday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time for the new trivia. Yeah, if you're not part of the Facebook group page, now's a good time to join. Yep, Facebook group. Remember, you do need to answer the questions. Yep. To yes. Join. Yeah, they're super hard questions. <laughs> like, who name one of the hosts? Um, Kevin and Jean. Kevin yeah. and Jean. Yeah, Mary, Kevin and Jean. Kevin yeah. Bacon's mm-hmm. boner is, they're my is an acceptable answer. So. <laughs> yes yes uh, and the corgis the corgis, the corgis. um fold cat yeah. yeah he made an appearance on just the, showing on the us you thing. actually listen yeah uh-huh yeah exactly some kind of evidence that you listen so uh, um on friday the quiz will be mmm it will be stuff that we have talked about in past episodes so go ahead mm-hmm. plus so other stuff go ahead well. and binge yeah. listen every episode to get ready for it okay 
<laughs> there's only they like 200 and something. Easy. Yeah, there, there's only like 250 episodes to go through. So yeah, you, you guys, guys got, got this. this. Yeah, no. yeah. All right. Speaking of, you got this. He's got I murder. Do. So, uh, hey. okay. like always, I have to give a trigger warning. This involves children. Hey, okay. Yeah, this, yeah. yeah. Um. And it, it, it's a tough story. A lot of children. I know. I don't know why, but uh, yeah. If you're sensitive, like you, you want to skip this one because it's pretty hard to stomach. So, all right. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Wah, wah. Candace Elmore was born on November nineteenth, nineteen eighty nine, in Lincolnton, North Carolina. She was only five years old when she and her siblings, Chelsea and Michael, were, were removed from her birth parents' house due to neglect and abuse, and the three children were separated and placed into different homes by social services. At the age of seven, she was adopted by Jean Newmaker, an unmarried pediatric nurse. Jean came from a well-to-do family in Warren, Pennsylvania, a town nestled into the deep silence of the Allegheny National Forest. She was known for having a good heart, albeit she was a little bit bossy. Candace Tierra Elmore became Candace Elizabeth Newmaker in North Carolina's record books on June 14, 1996. The state issued her a fresh birth certificate with Jean as her mother and now listed Durham as her place of birth. Jean rechristened her daughter with her own middle name, Elizabeth, as an effort to establish a new family tie. How interesting that they would change her birth certificate. Right? I've never heard of that. A little weird. I think that, that for records, that, that would need to stay right, or, the same. I, mean, I don't know That's... if maybe it stays on file. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like an amended thing right. or something to that effect. I but, don't know. That's. I don't know much don't about either. all that process, but that seems really strange to say that she was born somewhere right? that she wasn't well, born. What I was kind of yeah. reading is like they seal those records so tightly that, you know, it's like I, I actually do wonder if it's just like uh, this is you. And yeah. That makes sense. That does make sense in, in the case of adoption, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that with the sealed records. Okay. Well, still, it's, it's a little yeah. strange. I mean, you could just put redacted or something. I, I don't know. But okay. Whatever. Edited. <laughs> oh, Edited, know. right. So yeah. Jean took two months off of work when Candace came to live with her. And by all accounts, she became a super mom. Her tireless devotion to Candace was impressive to Jean's friends, family, co-workers, and the parents of the children in Candace's new circle of friends. Candace moved into her new big home on Georgia Avenue, was showered with gifts, and went to one of the top public schools in the county. However, Candace didn't take to all the new attention well. When other students tried to talk to her or include her in activities, she'd snap at them and say, don't talk to me, don't look at me and she would ask them to leave her alone. This behavior didn't last long, though, and she gradually began to warm up to her new peers and teachers and begin to take root in her new town. Soon, Candace's teachers at Easley in Elementary found her to be a very bright little girl who was quirky and easy to love. To friends, neighbors, and school acquaintances, Candace appeared to be growing more secure daily and was adapting well to her new life. She was doing well in school and had a core group of best girlfriends. Jean also enrolled Candace in gymnastics, swimming, and ballet, and took her on frequent vacations. 
But pink bikes, cool toys, and new friends couldn't erase Candace's memories of her painful past, and the little girl still ached for the love of her young mother long gone. And she mourned the loss of her little brother and sister. Inside the pretty home on Georgia Avenue, Jean was having a difficult time with the little girl, who so charmed all the neighbors. Jean began taking Candace to a psychiatrist within a few months of the adoption, complaining that Candace's attitude was inappropriate and that she wasn't displaying any signs of attaching to anything else either. She said that the little girl showed almost no regard for her surroundings or even other living things, reportedly playing with matches, and she killed her pet goldfish. Yeah. Candace's psychiatrist once said, I don't think she was a normal happy kid she'd smile and be real cute and then be mean an instant later jean was doing whatever she could Mm. to help candace with her moodiness and for several years took candace to multiple therapists who suggested and prescribed various medications jean and the therapists went as far as trying antidepressants antipsychotics and even amphetamines to combat what had been diagnosed as attention deficit disorder but none of the meds were working to calm Candace, and Jean still worried about her behavior. This is when Jean stumbled across something new, attachment disorder, which was a new buzzword being thrown about in adoption and foster family circles. Loosely, an attachment disorder describes a child's inability to bond with his or her new parents. Jean had gone to a convention to learn more about this condition, and the stories she heard from other parents were, in her opinion, remarkably similar to her own experiences. So I'm going to just talk a little more about attachment disorder for a second. (laughs) Please do, yeah. Attachment disorder is a broad term intended to describe disorders of mood, behavior, and social relationships arising from a failure to form normal attachments to primary caregiving figures in early childhood. And while the concept has been around for some time, it grew dramatically since the boom in international adoptions in the late 1980s. So some signs and symptoms may include unexplained withdrawal, fear, sadness, or irritability, sad and listless appearance, not seeking comfort or showing response when comfort is given, failure to smile, watching others closely but not engaging in social interactions, Failing to ask for support or assistance. Failure to reach out when picked up. No interest in playing peekaboo or other interactive games. And I mean, obviously that last one's for younger children, but. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting diagnosis and an interesting thing overall, just because I feel like, I mean, again, I don't, I'm not an expert on adoptive children, but you look at someone who's coming from Candace's background and like I, I, oh, I just don't yeah. feel like it's that much of a mystery why this poor little girl might have issues like being close to someone who's taking on the mother role. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. They're they're scarred from yeah. from all of that. But yeah, it makes sense. So, um, in 1999, Jean attended another national convention on the matter in Alexandria, Virginia. There, she met therapist Bill Gobble, and I did say Gobble. <laughs> Who had? <laughs> I, I, wow, I'm like five years old. <laughs> That's so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. 
<laughs> so Bill Gobble had her fill out an inventory sheet of Candace's behaviors. Despite never meeting Candace, Gobble stated that she definitely had attachment disorder and that he would rate her cases fairly severe. He recommended that Jean take Candace to see a specialist in the field, a woman named Connell Watkins. Watkins was an unlicensed psychotherapist in Evergreen, Colorado, and her mentor, mentor, Dr. Foster Klein, they were pioneers in attachment disorder. According to... But she's unlicensed? Yeah. Hmm. And I don't know if this is accurate. I know when I, I took a psychology class when I was in school, and my mm-hmm. professor basically told me that anyone can call themselves a psychotherapist. That it's like, oh. it's not like you. It's not a licensed right, profession. You don't okay. have to have credentials. Like, it's just a term that's like, well, do you want to be a psychotherapist? Boom, you're a psychotherapist. And again, I, <laughs> like, I, I don't know how accurate that is. I just remember vividly him saying that because I thought it was interesting. So. It sounds like it's a therapist who runs a motel where his dead mother sits up in the window. And... <laughs> well, I mean, oddly, I a movie about oddly enough, woman's practices run out of her basement because that's reputable. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, anyway, hey, office space is expensive. So, yeah. hey, there you go. Yeah. So, that's being economic. Sarah. I know it's just smart. So according to their theories, which are accepted by most attachment therapists, the disorder can be traced back to infancy. Every time you are left hungry, in pain, with a wet diaper, if your parents didn't respond to those needs, a part of your brain develops differently and you have a difficult time trusting others. And I mean, like, according to this theory, my kids are never going to trust me, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. <laughs> I wouldn't blame them though either. Yeah, I'm shady. <laughs> you are shady. Yeah. So in short, Dr. Klein and Watkins believed that it, you could reset the clock and recreate what the child missed as an infant, and you could reverse their um, behavior and make them quote unquote normal again. Uh huh. So on January 20th, 2000, Jean signed a contract agreeing to pay $7,000 for a two week rebirthing therapy in Colorado. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Jean and Candace made the 24 hour, 1,675 mile drive across the country and began therapy on April 10th of that same year. Before starting the therapy, Jean changed or eliminated all of Candace's medication. She was no longer taking the amphetamine for her ADD or her antidepressant, but her use of Risperdal, a calming medication, was doubled the day they arrived in Evergreen to counteract Candace's quote-unquote assaultive behavior. This kid is 10, okay? Yeah. It was said that upon arrival... Candace was so drugged that Colleen Watkins later stated that she had a look in her eye like nobody was home. Hmm. How old is this kid again? Ten. Ten, yeah. She's ten years old. Yeah. So after a week in the program, Candace and Jean began what was called compression therapy. And this is where Candace was bound tightly in sheets 
with her head exposed and was placed on the floor with a couch cushion surrounding her. Jean was instructed to lay on top of her, making a cross with their bodies. The goal was that after seeing her new mother in charge, Candace would connect with Jean. After doing this for three hours, Candace was instructed to lay in Jean's arms like a baby and to let Jean feed her. Candace did as oh. she was told, and Jean was so happy she cried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> so on Tuesday, April 18th, 2000, Watkins decided that Candace was ready for the rebirthing portion of her therapy, a process that was filmed. The scene begins with Candace in the basement of Watkins' home with another therapist, Julie Ponder. Candace yawns and tells Ponder that she didn't sleep well because she's having reoccurring nightmare that she is being murdered by her birth mother. Ponder dismisses this and reassures Candace that her new mother loves her very much, which seems pretty ironic. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just dismiss her, her concerns. Oh, don't worry. Yeah. Don't, don't but, you worry about that terrifying nightmare. That doesn't mean anything. Your new mommy. Never loves mind you. that you're scarred. Yeah. Right. It's okay. It's somebody you else might loves you. So, you might have knock deeper demons, but this woman loves you. So forget about that. Yeah. Yeah. So Ponder then explains the rebirthing practice that is about to take place, and the group is joined by Britta St. Clair, Watkins' office manager, and her fiance, Jack McDaniel. Candace is instructed to lay down on a navy blue flannel sheet on the ground and to get into the fetal position. Imagine yourself as a teeny little baby inside your mother's womb and what it felt like. Warm. It felt tight because her stomach was all around you, says Ponder. Ponder then wrapped Candace in the sheet, ends twisted above her head and feet. She was then covered by pillows. Watkins sits at Candace's feet. St. Clair leans her back against Candace's knees. McDaniel lies next to St. Clair along Candace's chest. Ponder is at Candace's head, holding the sheet tightly closed in her left hand. Ponder then moves away to lead the therapy, and Jean is instructed to stay near Candace's head, where she will emerge when she is quote-unquote born. The total weight of the adults is 673 pounds, all pressing down on this 70-pound little girl. And understandably, Candace is not only uncomfortable, but she is confused about what's going on. Yeah, she can't yeah. see anything. She's got all this weight pressing on her. Yeah. yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. Like, just the thought of it makes me just, oh, like, it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. So the following is actually the transcript from that day. Ponder asks Candace, what do you think you thought about when you were in there? Candace says, I thought I was going to die. You thought you were going to die in there? Asks Ponder. And Candace replies, yeah. Jean Newmaker chimes in. I'm so excited. I'm going to have a brand new baby. I hope it's a girl. I'm going to love her, to hold her, and tell her stories. I'm going to keep her safe. Every day we'll be together, and she'll be with me forever. Does this remind you a little bit of A Handmaid's Tale? 
Right. Like, yeah. yeah. It's just mental. Uh. Candace, do you believe what your mother is saying? Asks Ponder. Candace replies, uh-huh. How does that make you feel? Asks Ponder. Candace says, happy. Connell Watkins adds, if the baby doesn't decide to be born, she will die. When the baby decides to be born, it's a wonderful thing. Ponder then asks Candace, so little baby, are you ready to be reborn? To which Candace only replies, uh-huh. Come out head first, says Ponder. You have to push really hard with your feet. If you stay in there, you're going to die and your mommy's going to die. So we're now at eight minutes and 42 seconds in. Candace asks, who's sitting on me? I can't do it. I can't do it. And she begins to cry. My hands come out first. Watkins calmly tells her, sometimes it takes 18 hours to be born. About a minute later, Candace begins to scream. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. At 10 minutes, 16 seconds, Candace says, whoever's pushing on my head is not helping. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. It's too dark under here. Please quit pushing on my head. I can't do it. Somebody's sitting on top of me. She then began to moan and again said, somebody's on top of me. Where am I supposed to come out? Right here where my finger is? So, like, obviously, this kid is confused. She has no idea what's going on. So, at 11 minutes and 26 seconds, Candace says, I can't do it. And then she screams, I'm going to die. Ponder replies, do you want to be reborn or do you want to stay in there and die? Quit pushing on me, please, moans Candace. Quit squishing my legs. I'm going to die now. And she lets out an agonizing scream. Ponder asks, do you want to die? Candace says, no, but I'm about to. Please, please, I can't breathe. I can't do it anymore. Please quit pushing on me. I need some help. Help, help me, please. Watkins asks Jean, are you feeling the contractions, mom? And Newmaker replies, I am. At 13 minutes and 43 seconds, Candace asks, Where am I to go? Right here? Right here? I'm supposed to go right here. Please? Please? And then she screams, okay, I'm dying. Okay, I'm dying. I'm sorry. At 14 minutes, 31 seconds, Candace states, okay, I'm dying. I'm going to die. At 15 minutes, 30 seconds, Candace again repeats, I want to die. (sighs) At 16 minutes, 8 seconds, Candace asks, can you let me have some oxygen? You mean like you want me to die for real? To which Ponder responded, uh-huh. Oh. What? Candace asks, die right now and go to heaven. And Ponder says, go ahead and die right now. For real. For real. And Candace says, okay, I'm dead. Watkins chimes in. It's not always easy to live. You have to be really strong to live a life, a human life. At 17 minutes, 7 seconds, you hear labored breathing, and Candace says, Get off. I'm sick. Get off. Where am I supposed to come out? Where? But how can I get there? Watkins says, Just go ahead and die. It's easier. It takes a lot of courage to be born. Oh, my God. At 18 minutes. Yeah. 
At 18 minutes, 26 seconds, Candace says, you said you would give me oxygen. Watkins replies, you got to fight for it. At 19 minutes, 50 seconds, Candace vomits and says to the adults, okay, I'm throwing up. I just threw up. Candace continues retching some more, then says in a panic voice, I got to poop. I got to poop. To which no one responds. Two minutes later, at 21 minutes and 24 seconds, Candace groans, Ugh, I'm going in my pants. And Ponder says, Go ahead. At Watkins adds, Stay in there with poop and vomit. Thank God. At 23 minutes, 22 seconds, Candace screams, Help, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. It's hot. I can't breathe. To which Jean says, I'm so excited to have this baby. I'm waiting for you to love you and to hold you. Ponder says, scream, Candace. And all Candace responds is, no. Jean then adds, baby, I love you already. I'll hold you and love you and keep you safe forever. Don't give up on your life before you've had it. At 32 minutes, 25 seconds, Jack McDaniel repositions himself on a pillow over Candace's head. Ponder asks, Candace? And there's no response. Ponder takes another pillow from Newmaker and says, she needs more pressure over here so she can't, so she can really fight. Watkins says, getting pretty tight in there. To which Ponder replies, yep. Less and less air all the time. At 35 minutes and 39 seconds, and again at 40 minutes, Ponder and McDaniel reposition themselves again. Ponder says, she gets to be stuck in there with her own puke and poop. Watkins says, uh-huh, it's her own life, quitter. At 40 minutes, one second, Candace moans, no. McDaniel responds, Mama got you this far. Now it's up to you. To this, Watkins says, Candace is used to making her life everybody else's problem. She's not used to living her own life. And Ponder taunts in a sing-song voice, Quitter, 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 quit, 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 quit. She's a quitter. At this point, Watkins asks Jean to leave the room, and McDaniel takes Watkins' place by Candace's head. McDaniel comments, This baby doesn't want to live. She's a quitter. Watkins now tells McDaniel and St. Clair to take a break, and she and Ponder casually discuss another patient who is stressed out, then chit-chat about their dream homes and a million-dollar property nearby that's being remodeled. Finally, after 30 minutes of silence, Watkins says, Let's talk to the twerp. And at one hour, nine minutes and 53 seconds, they unwrap Candace and Watkins says, oh, there she is sleeping in her vomit. As soon as she was unwrapped, Jean screams. Ponder and Watkins quickly realize that Candace is not breathing and her face is blue. Jean and Ponder try to revive her and call 911 and the paramedics arrive at 11.06 a.m. 
When they arrive on the scene, paramedics found Candace partially wrapped in a sheet with vomit on her face and a smear of blood around her nose. She was blue and cold to the touch. Paramedics believe she had been unconscious and not breathing for quite some time. However, Candace wasn't dead and paramedics were able to get her on life support at Children's Hospital. The following morning, Candace died from brain stem herniation and cerebral edema brought on by mechanical asphyxiation. The doctor noted that she was smothered when she was restrained during therapy sessions. Jean Newmaker pleaded guilty to neglect and abuse charges and was given a four-year suspended sentence, after which the charges were expunged from her record. A Colorado judge sentenced Ponder and Watkins to 16 years in prison for reckless child abuse, resulting in death and for their roles of suffocating Candace. The sentences were announced in separate appearances. In a brief statement before her prison term was made public, Watkins told the court, I feel sorrow, regret, and remorse that torments me every waking hour. I failed Candace and I failed her mother. I accept full responsibility. I have to live the rest of my life knowing that Candace was dying next to me and I wasn't aware of it. (laughs) She was telling you she was. Yeah. Yeah. McDaniels and St. Clair were given 10 years probation for criminally negligent child abuse and sentenced to serve a thousand hours of community service as part of a plea bargain. Watkins was paroled in June of 2008 under intense supervision with restrictions on contact with children or counseling work, having served only seven years of her 16-year sentence. Hmm. Even before the trial ended, Colorado lawmakers pushed through a measure called Candace's Law that banned rebirthing therapies in the state. This type of rebirthing is now illegal though Evergreen, Colorado, is still the hub for attachment therapy cures. Hmm. So, yeah, what do you guys think? I remember when this happened, and it, it yeah. stick to my stomach. Yeah, hand. it was really sad. Uh, was there a recording? Or, I mean, you were, like, reading what so, they were saying. and So the whole thing was videotaped. Okay. And the video has been since sealed, like after the um, trial, right. it was sealed. So you can't find that anywhere, but you can find the full transcript of okay. what was said on the video. So that's where that all came from. But yeah, it, like... It, 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 thing- it just disgusts me. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I mean, I get that part of it's coming from a good place, right? This whole rebirthing thing. I get where they're coming from, a whole psycho, you know, whatever, yeah, psychoanalytical thing to it. But I I get all of that. But, man, they they just went about it in such a horrible way. And it reminds me of a case that happened in Utah, I think around the same time. Maybe maybe it was uh, quite a bit later. I don't remember. But where they forced that kid to drink a crap ton of water, I, yes. I don't remember what the whole situation was, but they made this kid just drink and drink and drink and drink water, and it killed him. They drank yeah. too much water. They they literally drank God. themselves to death with just water because of this oh. therapist that was making them do that. And it, it's, yeah. yeah, it makes you sick. <sighs> yeah. And I mean, what makes me so sad? I mean, she was quiet for over a half hour. And they didn't check like, on her. And they didn't check on her. And, you know, it's 
kind of, you know, with parenting, I understand that it, you have to do some things that you're not going to enjoy. You know, it's like the letting them cry it out. Right. But the key to that is making sure that their needs are met and that they're safe. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Like that is that that's the first thing you do. And her needs were not met and she was not safe. The point where she started puking mm-hmm. and pooping, pooping. Like, yeah. no, I'm sorry. Like call it a day. If you have to start again tomorrow, yeah. you know, I, she was obviously just, confused about what she was supposed to do, and they weren't helping with that at all. No. Like, she was stuck in this blanket. She didn't know where she was supposed to come out. And I, I didn't add this in the story, but I did read that at one point, she kicked so hard that she tore the sheet. And she had stocking, like so- her, she had socks on her feet. But that's how hard she was kicking to get out, that she tore holes in the sheet with her feet. But she's not kicking hard enough. Yeah, Right. Put more pressure on her. I mean, like they're holding down the end pounds. of the. They're holding down the end right. of the, the twisted sheet. How is she supposed to push herself out if they're right. if they've got that crimped off, you know, twisted yeah. up, and and they're holding it closed? How is she supposed to come out of that thing? Just yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's I, disgusting. Yeah, and you, I don't know. It it's like it's a reenactment. Like, it, I don't know. I just think the whole thing is so horrific. No, absolutely. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. And Ugh. I mean, at least it was completely outlawed and banned and it's just, it, it's, I, I understand the feeling of desperation as a parent where you're just like, I don't know what else to do. I'm at my wits end. I mean, obviously I don't know it to that extent, but I could see the frustration of an adopted parent being like, this child is not bonding to me. I don't know what to do. I'm at my wits end. But I mean, she was a pediatric nurse. Yeah, like, she should know some things that are, you know, about the basics like, of what children need, you know, right. and especially when it comes to them being in dangerous situations like that. Yeah, and I mean, about the point where she's puking and pooping on herself, like, come on. And they're mocking her for it. Right, and you calling know. her a quitter and taunting her and... Yeah. I, uh... Uh... It's yeah, that's a disgusting case. It really is. And yeah, uh, well, and it, it really upsets me. And like, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it was obviously they weren't, didn't intend to murder her, but serving seven years for that, that hardly seems enough, right? Yeah, and then feeling like, oh, I have to think about this every day. You killed a 10 year old girl, yeah. Bottom line, yeah, you guys, you did, you murdered her, yeah. Bottom line, it was negligent homicide. You murdered her. Grossly negligent at that. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. I mean, just a sad, sad story. So Well, you did a good job with it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I I seem to do well with stories that make me want to cry and stop. (laughs) Now you got to go hug your babies. (laughs) Seriously, I'm like hugging the sack of potatoes while eating ice cream and crying. I'm like, I don't want to do it. (laughs) So sad. Uh, I forgot to mention something in the opening and I feel really stupid for forgetting it. Uh, We want to give a huge, huge shout out and thank you to all our listeners because we made the podcast top 50. Oh, in podcast Fan magazine. voted, yeah, yeah. In the yeah. podcast magazine for April, we were number five. On the hot list, yeah. Woo-woo. 
I know. That's so cool. So that's all determined by podcast fans. Yep. For voting. Yep. So we can't thank you enough. That's so awesome. That was we greatly appreciate it. Uh, We've had some people write in if they can vote daily. Um, if you, they can use multiple email addresses <laughs> and <laughs> I love that you guys are all like questioning that uh, there's no rules on it. When you click yeah. on the link and the link is available on all social media, just click on the link and it will pull up. It'll ask your name and your favorite top you, three podcasts. Yep. You just write them in. Don't worry about spelling. They'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Vote for us. Vote for two others. Vote for three. Yeah. Vote for one. But that was really you know, you know and- you have nothing else to do right now. You're all <laughs> on shut in. We're gonna need you to vote at least 15, 20, maybe 30 times a day. <laughs> Dang, Sarah. Wow. Okay, wow. That's some I like serious right there. Wow. I know. I loved everyone, you know, coming out and congratulating yeah. us and everything. And then yeah. they're like, let's get that to number one. I mean, that would be fantastic. That would be be crazy. Yeah. But again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for recommending us to your friends. Thank you for voting. Thank you for subscribing and leaving reviews. You guys are the best. We love you. We do. All right. So I have myth and it's a little shorter today, but they always can't be long, right? Sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles. It's the motion of the ocean is what I've heard. Right. it's, it's not the size that matters. It's how you use it. All right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I think I can. I think I can. Now, you can do it, little guy. Aw, little. <laughs> there is a small tunnel from the 1900s that is made out of limestone bricks and runs underneath what was once the Grand Trunk Railroad Lines in Niagara Falls, Ontario. The original purpose of the tunnel was to allow water to drain from the surrounding farms without wearing down the tracks and washing them away, because that would be bad. It also allowed the farmers to pass through safely with their herd without having to worry about any of their livestock getting hit by a train, because that would be bad. (laughs) Again, yes. (laughs) It runs 16 feet high and is 125 feet long. Okay, so not terribly long, no. Mm Mm-hmm. And around and above it is covered with greenery, and it's very, it's a very picturesque scene, right? All right. It's super cute. However, come night, the tunnel transforms with the darkness and the shadows and takes on a whole creepy vibe. Does it turn into a truck? Yes. <laughs> but I'm not just going to tell you how I think all tunnels are scary at night. I'm going to add some legend to the story, and I'm going to tell you how the Screaming Tunnel got its name. Oh, oh boy. Okay. That's not an (laughs) ominous name at all. No. I want to go there. Yeah, me too, actually. Screaming with joy. Wee! (laughs) As lore and legends go, there is numerous origin stories, but this one has always started off with a nearby farmhouse on the south side of the tunnel. Once stood a beautiful farmhouse, and now there's only an empty field. One night, the farmhouse caught on fire, and a young girl was caught in the fire. To escape the fire, she ran through the high flames, and they caught her nightgown and hair on fire. She ran from the burning building, screaming in agony, and kept running, perhaps thinking it would extinguish the flames. 
Before people could help her, she finally collapsed in the middle of the tunnel and died due to the burns. Mm -hmm. The other story is it was still a farm girl, but this time she had been raped and then her body was burned in the tunnel to destroy evidence. Whoa. Neither story is good, but since the death of the girl, a weird occurrence started happening in the tunnel. Now, to experience it, you need to walk into the middle of the tunnel without any light. Once in the middle of the tunnel, strike a wood match, and as soon as that happens, a ghostly breath will blow it out, and then the sounds of a girl screaming start echoing through the tunnel. Ooh. Ooh. True or not true, I'm not going to try it. But if you have, we want to hear the story. And if you live nearby, definitely go check it out and tell us what happened. And then just another really quick fact I came across. The tunnel can be seen in Stephen King's movie, The Dead Zone. It's when Christopher Walken is seen walking down the tunnel at night, but he had headlights lighting his way. So he was cheating. Oh, interesting. That's a great movie, too. It is a good movie. Yeah. So that's it. I told you it was a quick little one. It's a good one, though. Yeah. 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 It was good. Um, The motion of the ocean. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, (laughs) I would love to go to that area. I love Ontario. It's such a pretty area. I've Mm -hmm. never been out to Niagara Falls area, though. So, um, yeah, anybody who who lives in that area that's familiar with that tunnel, go check it out. Yeah. We want to know if you've had any cool experiences. I know. That's neat. It's really pretty tunnel, but like I said, no thank you at night. I mean, the the (laughs) match blowing out. Yeah, you know, that's kind of explainable, obviously, but the screaming right. thing—that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Well, <laughs> good job. You're welcome. All right. So on to my story here with mystery. The neighborhood of Georgetown in Washington D.C. is famous for being the home to the who's who in the political circles of the U.S. government. It's a quiet area situated on the banks of the Potomac River. And it's filled with trendy shops, bars, and restaurants. A little after noon on October 12, 1964, 43-year-old prominent Washington, D.C. artist Mary Pinchot Meyer put the finishing touches on her latest painting, set up a box fan to help it dry, put on her blue Angora sweater, and went out for her daily walk along the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal towpath in Georgetown. A short while later... A mechanic named Henry Wiggins heard a woman scream out, Someone help me! Someone help me! Followed by the sound of two gunshots. Wiggins ran from his shop to where the sounds had come from. When he looked over a wall on a bridge that overlooked the towpath, he saw a black man in a light jacket, dark slacks, and a dark cap standing over the body of a dead woman. When the police arrived a short while later, they found Mary Pinchot Meyer dead on the ground with two bullet wounds, one to the temple and one in the back. Both shots appeared to be made at point-blank range. Not long after that, they found a man matching the description that Wiggins had provided about a quarter of a mile away. The man, Ray Crump, was soaking wet as though he had just come out of the canal. He was arrested immediately and when another witness came forward the next day and stated that while jogging on the towpath, he had seen a man matching Crump's description following a woman, then things just kind of escalated at that point. Based on these two witness remarks, the judge determined that a preliminary hearing would not be necessary. Now, it should be noted that no murder weapon was ever found, nor any records that indicate that Crump ever owned a firearm, 
Plus, there was no evidence of blood spatter on him or his clothes, which if he was that close to the victim when the gun was fired, he would certainly have her blood on him. Still, he was the best lead they had. Mary's body wasn't positively identified for several hours after her murder until her brother-in-law, Ben Bradley, was able to come down to the morgue to identify her. But somehow, a CIA official named Wistar Janney knew exactly who she was and was the one that reached out to Ben Bradley, as well as Mary's ex-husband, Cord Meyer, before the police had any inkling of who their victim was. Hmm. So how did Wistar Janney know who she was before the police did? Well, I hope you're wearing your blue and white dress, Alice, because we're going down the rabbit hole. Uh-oh. Mary Pinchot was born in 1920 to a prominent far-left-leaning family. Her father, Amos, was a lawyer and a member of the Progressive Party, while her mother, Ruth, was a journalist for such socialist magazines as The Nation and The New Republic. Mary grew up in the family home known as Gray Towers in Milford, Pennsylvania, but went to school in New York City at the famous all-girls private school, the Brearley School, and later graduated from Vassar College with a degree in journalism in 1942. She was introduced to Lieutenant Cord Meyer of the U.S. Marines in 1944, and the two of them hit it off in a hurry. Despite being a Marine, Meyer was a pacifist, ever since losing his left eye in combat during World War II. It was this pacifism and a mutual belief in what is known as a world government that bonded Cord and Mary. If the term world government isn't familiar to you, it's basically the belief that all of the planet would be better off if it was run by one central government in order to obtain world peace. Hmm. Well, their relationship blossomed in a hurry, and the two of them were married in April of 1945. As the old nursery rhyme says, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage, right? Well, that's right. They wasted no time starting a family of their own. In fact, their first child was born in November of 1945, and their next one would be born not two years later in 1947 and a third in 1950. Wow. In in 1951, Cord was recruited into the CIA by the actual chief of the CIA, Alan Dulles, as in the man that Dulles International Airport is named after. This new job meant that the family had to pack up and move to D.C., where they ended up settling down in Georgetown. By this point in time, Mary was a housewife, but was actively pursuing her passions of making art. It didn't take long for the Myers to assimilate themselves into the Georgetown culture, and they quickly made friends in various government circles. In fact, one of their closest friends in Georgetown was none other than John and Jackie Kennedy, who moved next door in 1954. Mary and Jackie would often spend time together and grew quite close, but Cord's job was starting to weigh on the marriage. He was frequently gone overseas working on projects like Radio Free Europe, which was a government-run program that disseminated information via radio to citizens of Eastern Europe, whose own governments were keeping them in the dark about what their communist regimes were really up to. In 1956, their middle son, Michael, was killed when he was hit by a passing car near their home. Mm, Yeah, this devastated Mary and actually worked to help mend the marriage for a little while since they could grieve together. But it was not meant to last, and they officially divorced in 1958. Mary moved in with her sister, Tony, and her husband, Ben Bradley, who was an up-and-coming newspaper editor. 
She set up shop in their garage, which she had turned into an art studio. The divorce seemed to really liberate Mary. Those that knew her said that she was like a free spirit again. She started hanging out with prominent D.C. area artists like Kenneth Noland, and the pair started a sexual relationship as well. She started smoking marijuana and painting more and more since these activities made her feel free and alive. Along with Nolan, the pair would frequent jazz clubs in the area and really absorb the bohemian atmosphere that was sweeping the counterculture populations around the country. She was also being tracked by the CIA and FBI at this time, with the former going as far as to wiretap her phone, because you just can't trust those damn beatniks. True. All the while, good old John F. Kennedy was also trying to hit that, because frankly, he tried to hit everything. Mm -hmm. But she continuously turned him down while she was with Nolan, but their friendship remained intact. In fact, after Kennedy was elected president, Mary visited famed Harvard professor and counterculture icon, Dr. Timothy Leary, and asked him to teach her how to guide another person through an acid trip on LSD. Mm -hmm. He offered to mentor the person directly, but she was adamant that she had to be the one to do it because this person was very influential and needed to keep their anonymity. Oh, Mary started visiting JFK at the White House semi-regularly, and by this time, the relationship had most certainly turned sexual between them. To this day, nobody knows for certain if Kennedy had ever tried LSD, but those closest to him at the time did notice a dramatic change in his personality as well as his approach to international diplomacy. In fact, it was at this time that he was able to successfully start peace negotiations with the Soviet Union thanks to the rousing speeches he had been giving about world peace. Their sexual relationship appears to have fizzled out by the summer of 1963, but Mary was still a regular fixture around the White House because Kennedy trusted her advice on a lot of matters. Some actually believe that she is the sole reason we never went to war with the Soviets during the Kennedy presidency. Wow. Of course, we all know how that presidency ended. Well, we sort of know anyway, since there are literally thousands of conspiracy theories floating around out there. Regardless, Kennedy was shot and killed in Dallas, Texas on November 22nd of 1963. Again, Mary turned to the world of art in order to help cope with the grief. She put her whole person into her art and started to really make a name for herself with well-respected critics giving high praise of her work. On the night of Mary's murder, her friend Ann Truitt called Mary's sister Tony to tell her about Mary's diary. She said that Mary had kept a detailed diary of her romantic encounters with Kennedy and that they had probably get their hands on that. The next day, Tony's husband, Ben Bradley, went out to the garage with some tools to open the door since Mary had installed locks on it. But he was surprised to find the CIA counterintelligence chief, James Angleton, out there trying to pick the lock himself. They all went inside the studio and found the diary, which supposedly did indeed have all of the Lura details. According to Angleton, he took it back to the CIA where it was incinerated. So why are we talking about all of this if we already know that Ray Crump shot and killed Mary Pinchot Meyer? Well, we don't know that. At the murder trial, the judge refused to allow any details of Mary's personal life to be part of the trial. Like, any details at all. It was almost as if she didn't exist at all before that day, as far as the lawyers and the jury were concerned. The defense attorney was also not told that her client had no blood on him or his clothes when he was arrested. 
when it was determined that the description of the killer would have meant that Ray Crump would have had to have been at least 50 pounds heavier than he was, and with no physical evidence to tie him to the crime, he was acquitted. To this day, there are two very distinct ideas about what really happened. On one side, you've got Ray Crump, who was found near the crime scene soaking wet for some reason. Crump would later be arrested multiple times for rape and arson, so it's not like he was a model citizen. On the other side, you've got the CIA being way too involved in this case. Between Mary's ex-husband being a major figure in the CIA, the wiretapping of her phone, them killing Kennedy, and the burning of her diary, it all seems like they are the ones that killed her on that towpath. Do you like how I threw that one implication in there all nonchalant like that? Uh-huh. Maybe she knew too much about the Kennedy assassination and they were trying to tie up loose ends. Who knows? But of course, if that is the case, we will never know. It's not like the CIA is going to come out and say, yeah, we totally did it. Sorry for right. lying about it. It's the friggin' CIA we're talking about here. These guys build and destroy governments all willy-nilly and do it with stolen drug money because they're insane. Yep. So, yeah, the story of Mary Pinchemeyer will probably never really be solved. What happened to her on that little trail wow. in Georgetown. Oh, man. Good story. Thank you. Lots of conspiracies on that one. Oh, yeah. It is a twisted web we weave, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've talked about the CIA doing shady stuff so many times on this show, obviously. Yeah. Which is so weird. I mean, it's a government organization, but they seem to do stuff without the government knowing what they're doing. But, um, you know, and uh, obviously that's a major, you know, a major, uh, you know, conspiracy theory with the Kennedy assassination is mm-hmm. you know, that the CIA played some part in it, and yeah, yeah, all of that good stuff, and yeah, it, it's a weird story. But she, yeah, you know, she had her toes in a lot of circles, yeah. if you will, you know, very influential circles. Obviously, being that close to Kennedy, uh, you know, they would get high in the White House smoking weed. She even at one time told him that she'll get him cocaine. Wow. You know, this is good stuff. Let me get you some cocaine. You got to try that. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, did he try the LSD? I don't know, but you know. Why not? Why not? Yeah. He probably did. He probably did. Not yeah. coming at him. It, it's Kennedy. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and obviously it's no secret that the guy could not keep it in his pants. Yeah, no. he he was hitting everybody, everything left and right. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It, yeah, he had a really bad sexual addiction problem. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it didn't hurt that he was really handsome and right. you know obviously successful and all of that too. But yeah. I don't know. It, you know, maybe it was Crump. Like I said, he wasn't exactly a model citizen. Uh, you know, he got arrested multiple times after that. But it, it was all just so weird that the CIA knew about the death before the police knew who she even was. Yeah. You know, they were holding her body or anything like that. They they were the ones that knew this stuff. And there was a, a book that was really highly praised that came out, I want to say 2012 or 2013, um, a that it was written by that CIA counterintelligence guy, um, Janney, by his son. So uh, that he basically says, oh, yeah, this is what I found out through all of my dad's records and, you know, implicating all these things that the CIA played a major role in her death and all this other stuff. So I don't know. It, it's, huh. it's very rabbit holy. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. Crazy. Great story. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, and it's not like it was a secret that she was at the White House either. There's a lot of pictures of her along with Kennedy at the White House or uh, at his the birthday party on the yacht that Jackie arranged huh. that, you know, like 45th birthday or whatever it was. It was yeah. his last birthday. Uh, yeah, that yeah, she arranged this big party out on this big luxury yacht and there's Mary at the party having a good time. So, you know, here she's kind of friends with Jackie, but sleeping with Jackie's husband. Yeah. Wow. But, you have to wonder how much did Jackie actually know and just turn a you know blind eye yeah. to, to John Kennedy. Well, Jack is, I guess, everybody referred to him, you know, to his his meandering ways. I guess I don't know. Gosh. But yeah, she was. Yeah, there's a lot of pictures of her at the White House along yeah. with other advisors. Everybody says, oh yeah, she was here sometimes three, four times a week. Huh. So wow. yeah, it's interesting. That's for sure. Huh. That whole thing. Yeah. That's- Gets more and more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, gosh, you could do a whole podcast, you know, with multiple episodes oh, just yeah. about all the dumb, weird theories about that surrounding Kennedy and oh, his assassination. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, I think it's about time we go ahead and wrap this thing up. So, again, we apologize for sound issues, guys, since we are, you know, recording remotely with Sarah recording from home. Yeah. I apologize you know, we, for any strange thumps cries anything the children are awake and rowdy upstairs so <laughs> breaking things yeah Brett's just watching cartoons probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> brett's actually gone outside and locked them indoors and he's like i'm done the kids are just i don't blame him ransacking I, I wouldn't the house him one bit he's just gonna sit outside this lovely day and smoke a cigar while the kids just destroy everything yeah i yeah. think it's a great idea when yeah. when they when I come upstairs, I'll be like, I don't see a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Brett. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and tie this up then. So let's say goodbye, girls. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.